you got to understand that, you know, mistakes, mistakes are going to happen. You can't beat yourself up because I used to get down, you know, down on myself if certain things weren't happening the way I thought they would happen or something that turned out the way I wanted to or thought it should. Like you can't beat yourself up. You can't get too down because because at the end of the day, to borrow LeBron James terms, at the end of the day, your life's still going to go on. And these kids still need to be fed. You still need to be housed. So whatever mistake you could call that might have been there, hey, we get another pack at it tomorrow. Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. What, what did you think about All Star Game, man? Oh, I, it was cool. Like I, I didn't watch the, the the beginning of it, but I caught the fourth quarter, and it was it was exciting. Like that's the way it's supposed to be. Like the dudes, like I was, I was legit entertained with how into it the guys were, and they didn't want to lose. You know, the arguing, the calls, and the whole nine. Like they were into it, so that was cool. Yes, yeah, it's, it's. I was watching some of the coverage this morning. It was like now we're actually looking forward to next year. Yeah, and I think that. And I think they'll make they'll they'll make some changes. I think one of the rules I saw last night was you want to make it. They got to win by two, you know. Right. Like it was yeah. The free point. throw thing is like, come on, man. Yeah. You, you can't you can't win after all that intensity. You right. know, you just can't just up and end it on a free throw. But I think they're exactly. heading in the right direction. Right. Right. And that, but that's the, that just says a lot about the league that they're willing to 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 revamp and make changes on what's best. So. Uh, which Major League Baseball would take note. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, before we dive, you know, get too far along off yeah. off the uh, the beaten path, just just tell right. our listeners, man, introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know, you know, who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. All right. Well, my name is Shannon Penn. I am the uh, producer of First Take Your Take on ESPN Radio and ESPN News. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and uh, when I was about 13, 14, I moved down to Virginia which at the time I hated, but looking back on it now, especially as a father, it, it was the best choice and the best decision that my mother could have made, uh, you know, providing me with a more a safe environment. So I appreciate that. So I was in Virginia throughout high school. I went to um, undergrad at Elizabeth City State in uh, North Carolina. So I did 40 year, four years there. Uh, I majored in communication, and then after graduating from Elizabeth City State, I went to grad school at Norfolk State in Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, while at Norfolk State, I interned at um, 850 The Buzz, which was a sports talk station in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I did that, and after my internship, they offered me a part-time position, and that was back in 2006, and I've been in the radio industry ever since. Well, you know, had I known the Norfolk State connection, man, I don't know if we would have uh, booked this interview, but we can have that conversation. Ah, oh, man, here you go. <laughs> for, for another day. Behold the green and gold. <laughs> Absolutely. I, well, I respect it. I respect it. Well, listen, man, just uh, picking up on on that, the theme of, of, of family and fatherhood, tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah. So I have uh, my wife and I, my wife, Yamina and I, we've, 
we've known each other since we were kids. Actually, our grandfathers knew each other. They're from the same part hmm. in uh, in Halifax, Virginia, so a small part of Virginia. And so our families have been intertwined for years. And she and I, we actually used to play as kids during the summer. So we've known each other practically our whole lives. And we started dating back in 2001. We reconnected at the uh, CIAA tournament when my uh, sister-in-law, she actually noticed me in the uh, when I was in the press room. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. But then she said my wife's name. She said, Yamina. I smiled and I knew exactly who she was. So my wife and I, we were dating since 2001. We were married in 2008. We have two kids. We have a 13-year-old son, Braylon, and a 10-year-old daughter named Shannon who are both a handful. Awesome, man. And, and talking about fatherhood, Shannon, just just tell, tell us, what does fatherhood mean to you? Oh, it means a willingness to do whatever I can, however I can get it done. So, you know, a lot, lot, I personally, and I'll get, on to, get into this a little bit later, I didn't grow up with my father in the household. So for me, you know, I'm learning a lot about fatherhood on the fly, and uh, which is really cool because it's, it's a learning process. But for me, fatherhood means whatever you can do for your kids, and, and, and whichever's best for them, be willing to do it, whether that's, you know, spending time outside throwing a ball or it's, you know, practicing ballet with my daughter. If I need to get in third position and do the ballet routine with her, you have you have to have a willingness to do it. You have to be present. You have to let your kids know that you're going to be there. And even though you might not be there at times physically because that, you know, you may be at work, you know, way at work or whatever. But to know that you're trying to be there and you're willing to listen. And, you know, it, it can't be just be, you know, do as I say and, and because I told you so. No, explain to them why you want it, why you want it done. And if need be, get down there and show them how to do it, show that you're not above above anything. And that, you know, if you were in that same position, I have to explain to them why it is that, you know, want they, you want them to do what you're doing. And, and as you do some, I guess, self-reflection or self-analysis on, on you as a dad, Shannon, how would you say fatherhood has changed you personally? Yeah. All right. So I had to learn, honestly, for me, I had to sacrifice. And because I was my mother's only child. So, you know, I'm not saying I was stingy or any of those things, but, you know, I was used to being being the center and, and doing things, you know, what I wanted to do when I wanted to do them. And when my son was born, I had to learn that, hey, you're not on your clock anymore. You know, you're on someone else's mm-hmm. clock and and you got to do although you might not want to do it, you got to do what's best for him. You know, whether that's, you know, taking a job that you might not want or working a shift, you got to be able to provide. And so for me, the biggest thing that I've learned, you know, since since having Braylon and now Shannon is, you know, it's all about sacrifice. You got to do what's best for the greater good. And sometimes you might not want to do it or, or, or agree or, or feel that you have to. But but, you know, you got to make sure that they're safe and secure and what's doing best for them, for them and providing for them. So if there's anything, it's just, you know, more of a communal approach for me personally. And how much, you know, talk about some challenges, you know, what were some growing pains that you experienced maybe early on as a dad, as you were, you know, learning uh, as you go? Honestly, the, the, the one of the bigger challenges for me is actually the work, the work life balance. And, and it's still, it's still a practice. I don't think you can ever really have a full mastery of that. You know, it was times when I first started in this industry, I was a, a part-time employee and so I still needed a full-time job. So when I first broke into the industry, um, you know, the radio, that was my second job. I had a full-time job as a you know, front front desk agent at a, at a Hilton. I was later promoted to a 
to, to a manager, but, you know, that meant, you know, hotels are 24 hours, just like the media industry. So, you know, I'd work mm-hmm. you know, odd hours, you know, days, weekends, you know, whatever it took, but, you know, I had to sacrifice in order to do that. But at the same time, I had wanted to make sure I stayed in the industry. So whatever available work that came along within the radio industry, I took that as well. So, you know, I, I probably worked more than my wife at, or fiance at the time would prefer. But my whole thinking was I wanted to make sure I put myself in a position where I can provide and, your, you know, your best ability is availability. So I couldn't in good faith tell you know, PD or, or supervisor or whomever who wanted to, you know, ask if I can cover a shift. I didn't want to tell them no, because I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was capable and available to do it. And hopefully, you know, planting the seeds so that later down, if a full-time position opened up, I would be considered for it, which eventually happened. I mean, it took about five years and that was a real, a real struggle. But, you know, I, 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 I tried to look at the, the, the big picture and, 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 and did it hurt our home at times? Probably. There are times, you know, nights and weekends that I wanted to be home with the family. Absolutely. But my thinking, my focus was getting us in a position where it would be beneficial for all of us in the long run. So how did you work through that? I mean, anyone who's worked in the media knows a struggle at times, as you mentioned, nights and weekends, yeah. um, long hours. You, this is something that you wanted to do. You wanted to pursue. Was there ever a time in that process where you're like, maybe I should, you know, put those dreams aside for the greater good of my family now that I'm a dad? Oh, absolutely. Because going, even going back to that situation, you know, me, me thinking that, hey, if I show that I'm, 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 I'm available, I'm able once a, a full-time spot comes available, I should be able to get it. Well, I was, you know, passed over a couple of times, just to be honest with you. And and it was at those times that I thought maybe this isn't for me. But, you know, with the encouragement of, of my wife, she told me to, you know, to stick with it. We've been, we've, you know, we sacrificed and we put this time into it so far. So we're not going to stop now. So it was really her encouragement, to be honest with you, that that kept me, you know, uh, drudging ahead and, 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 and sticking with it because, you know, you get down on yourself and you, and you start questioning whether or not, you know, this is something that you want to, you know, maintain doing. But, you know, she was really encouraged me to stick with it. And then when that opportunity came, the full-time spot, you know, I made the most of it. As we're talking about the sports industry, man, obviously one of the stories that's been dominating the sports industry and just news in general over the last couple of weeks is the, you know, untimely death of Kobe. Um, I'm curious, man, how did that affect you uh, when you receive the news and, and process it? How did it affect you, especially from the perspective of a father? Oh, my gosh, man, that was that was tough. I, I still remember when we first saw the news, I was actually home with my kids. My wife just happened to be out that day. And, you know, just my daughter, she didn't want to turn the channel. So my 10 year old. So we literally sat there on the couch, the three of us watching the coverage nonstop that entire day. And it was, you know, absolutely heartbreaking to see, obviously, not only you know Kobe and, and his daughter, but, you know, the rest of the people that were on the rest of the victims that were on that helicopter flight, man, it's it, it was tough. And, you know, I, I helped my daughter a little bit tighter that night, just to be honest with you. And you've seen the images of Kobe and Gianna, man. It's it's just another one of those reminders that tomorrow is never promised, you know, and and you can't sweat the small stuff, you know, whether or not, it, you know, they. You ask them to put the dishes in the dishwasher and do it like, yeah, it's disappointing. But on a, on a larger scale, man, that stuff doesn't mean anything. It's the time, the time that you spend with your family and the events and making those memories. Those those are most important. And, and, and it goes to a, a larger issue when I, when I see, you know, sporting events or games or something and everyone has their phone out. Like, yeah, I understand you want to capture these moments, but be in the moment. As my wife says, be present. You know, because at one point you're going to look back and say, man, 
yeah, I hear the pictures from this event, but I didn't enjoy it because I was too busy on my phone. Like, like right. enjoy that. Right. I, I think for me, man, one of the things that really hit home was you you look at your, your own mortality. You know, mm-hmm. this is something, you know, granted, you know, it was a helicopter, but this is routine for Kobe. You know, it's right. just like you and I get in the car and going to work or, you know, dropping kids off at school and daycare. I mean, I think, you know, just this, the, the day-to-day stuff that we often take for granted was what really hit home for me uh, as it pertains to Kobe's passing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, and for it to be Kobe, as you said, Kobe had one of these airs of invincibility. You know, it's like with Kobe when he tore his AC, when he tore his Achilles, oh, he'll be back. Or Kobe playing with a broke finger. Oh, he's still playing. Like, I... Like for me, because because Kobe has been so present in our lives since ninety, basically ninety five, he's always been there. So with me, even when I saw the helicopter crash, I, I was thinking, as silly as this may sound, if anyone can 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 survive this, it was Kobe. You know, right? And so, like as you said, it, it was, you know, you look at your own mortality, and and for me, it, the, the whole Kobe thing, honestly, it's kind of weird too, because I was I respected the heck out of Kobe and. But I wasn't a Kobe fan per se, you know. It's like I yeah, actually I, I enjoyed I enjoyed rooting against Kobe, not not as a hater or any of these things. But the way I looked at Kobe as a, as an athlete only, like Kobe for me was the ultimate villain, and not saying it in the bad way. But if mm-hmm. you look at the characteristics of a villain, they're usually stronger, smarter, one step ahead than the protagonist. But for some reason, it might be a a, a flaw or two, and that the protagonist would be able to exploit but Kobe he had very few of those like he was always it was oh it made the games more interesting to root against because you know Kobe was going to hit the game winner but hey maybe right. he didn't this time like it was fun to root against so for me like 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 not having Kobe here now I'm st- I'm still in shock because he was he's always been there you know it's like Kobe's one of these guys that you that you felt was going to live forever and I don't yeah. know and, and, and it's brought some honestly it's brought some self-reflection for me because I look back on it now, like, honestly, not saying it was hate, but there probably was a bit of envy because you look at the work and, and the work that Kobe would put into his craft. And I look at myself and I'm like, I don't even put 10 percent of the work that Kobe put into his mastery, you know, and and maybe yeah. moving forward, you can look, you know, I can look on him and say, well, maybe what would Kobe do? Honestly, like it sounds cheesy, but hey, like, yeah, I worked, I'm booked this guest, but. Maybe I should have booked this other guest, or maybe I should develop develop this project a little bit harder. If because I know if Kobe was here, if Kobe was doing the same thing, he would be still up late at night while I put the laptop up and I'm done taking notes. Kobe would still be doing that. Like he was that guy that that when you were working out or whatever, and you say, "Well, your competitor is still in the gym or putting forth that extra effort or waking up at 4 a.m." That was Kobe, and maybe yeah. that was a level of expertise that I aspired to be, but never was willing to put the work in. And I don't know moving forward. If I would do that, but maybe that'll inspire other people to to do that. You know, what would Kobe do? You take that jump shot and you say, Kobe, well, it's more than just taking that shot. It's putting that work in and you wasn't with me in the gym. That's literally Kobe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I don't even know if I can listen to Stay Scheming anymore. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's it's tough. It really is. Little stuff like that, man. It's like, wow. Yeah, and I thought the NBA did a great job with the, with the tribute during the the All Star the All Star yeah. weekend. It was it was it was tough to watch, but you know I felt that I needed to watch it. But you know the Jennifer Hudson tribute, you know your comment with his intro. The NBA they did a great job in naming the MVP of the All Star Game Award after him as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought it was very well done, and you know, showed a lot of um, the the appropriate sensitivity to the topic, but at, at, at the same time, the same the the appropriate amount of respect uh, for, for Kobe and the situation. Um, talking to Shannon Pennaday on the Fatherhood Podcast, and Shannon, as someone who now um, makes his career uh, in sports and producing sports radio, you're yeah. around it all the time. Um, what lessons have you taken from, you know, sports and athletics and apply it uh, to your role as a father? Yeah, well, you, you got to be flexible. You know, every situation is fluid. You can have the best, you know, best game plan or best show rundown in the world. But if breaking news happens or if something happens, you got to be flexible. You got to be able to audible at the line. Sometimes calling to Omaha, Omaha, like Peyton Manning is applicable. And you got to be able to do so. You got to take that same, those same uh, ideas as you do it approaching work, you got to do it in your home life as well. Like everything is not, yeah, you might have a great plan or think, you know, this is how your kids are going to be. And this is how you're going to be as a father, but that stuff's going to change, you know, full transparency here. My, my son, my son has a, a, a learning disability and, you know, so he doesn't, you know, he doesn't go through life the same that say a typical kid would be. And initially when I was younger, you know, that was you know tough to accept because you have all these thoughts, these milestones in your head, that you're going to be able to do. I'm going to, you know, throw with my son and he's going to do this and play sports and, and all of this stuff. And you got to, you got to change on the fly, you know, real life, real life is not scripted and, and you got to be flexible with that. And that doesn't make him any less. It doesn't make me any less as a father, but you understand that, you know, things aren't, things happen for a reason and they're not going to go directly according to plan. And you got to be able to adjust on the fly and make, and make the best of it. And, and, and so I'm, like every day, you know, he's 13, he's actually turning 14 in a week. And, you know, I I still look at him as that little baby. And, and I don't know if that's part of me having to let him grow some because early on we were doing so much for him. But, you know, as a, as a father, you have to have a willingness to change. Yeah, yeah. Let's actually stay right there, Shannon. I was talking to a guest a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and his um, daughter had autism and he was, you know, sharing about some growing pains he had to go through um, in, in adjusting, you know, his approach to fatherhood once they found out that she was on a spectrum. So, you know, knowing the, the situation with your son, what type of adjustments and how did that affect you as a father personally? Um, find out your son had a learning disability and some of the things that you may, you know, have you know dreamed about and thought were in store for you you had to change. Yeah. Um, I, I had to realize, you know, that, that he's, he's not, you know, he's not me and, and we're different and his journey is going to, is going to be different from mine. You know, I had, you know, all of these dreams of, you know, Hey, he's going to, you know, graduate high school, go to college, pledge capital, like his dad did all that stuff, which <laughs> still may happen, you know, but it might be, you know, it might be a little different. So I think, you know, the, the realization of that stuff, you know, like I said early on, you know, it was a bit challenging, honestly, and I had to do some, you know, some some self evaluation. Is like, hey, you need to, uh, you need to, you know, it's okay with Braylon's journey, and his journey is 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 individual to him, and I have to understand that. So everything might not go according to plan, but um, you know, you you still love you don't love him any less, and just understand that, you know, that that's going to be his journey, and and just you know, and, and just be there for him and, and the challenges that faced and that he faces daily and, and understand that, you know, that's just going to be him. So just be there for him. That's what I said earlier before about, you know, being present and letting him know that, yeah, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to trip and fall, but, you know, be there to help him pick him up and, and, and try to help 
that he doesn't make those same mistakes moving forward, but that allow him to make those. And, and Braylon is 13, almost 14. Yeah. How, how Shannon, would you say that, you know, going from going back 13, 14 years ago, how mm-hmm. has fatherhood changed uh, from year one to now um, you're, you're 13, 14 and going from one to two uh, kids? Like how, how does that look different to you? Um, it's, it's funny because, uh, so Braylon and Shannon, my daughter, they're, they're totally different. You know, Shannon, she, oh my gosh, she's so much quicker than I ever was as a kid. And, mm-hmm. and so she's with her, with fathering the parenting process with her was, was totally different because she was able to pick up on things so quickly. So with, with Braylon, I don't know if it was because my wife and I were first time parents or, you know, some of the struggles that he had, we found ourselves doing a lot of things for him, you know, whether it was tying his shoes or you know, feeding him or, or things like that, that, you know, you know, we, we continue past what a typical child would do. Um, and it was weird just comparing the speed in which my daughter was able to grasp than my son. And, I would say for parenting now, moving forward now, it's like we still kind of hover around him. But at the same time, my wife and I both understand that we got to let him go. Like we'll explain to him what we want, but we have to let him figure it out for himself. And and if he gets it wrong, you know, come back and we'll help him do it again. But we can't do it for him. Um, you know, he'll be entering high school here soon. We actually had a meeting at his uh, middle school not too long ago to try to map out you know, what a successful life for him as far as, you know, while in high school, you know, after high school, living on his own, what what life techniques he needs to learn um, as far as, you know, knowing his address or knowing how, knowing, understanding what currency is and and how to, you know, get a cell phone or balance a checkbook or any of those, those life issues that, you know, we're starting to practice with him now. So I would say if there's anything that I've learned over these 14 years is that you can't do everything for your child. You can be there and you can be supportive and you can and, and you can guide them, but you have to let them live their lives and, and move on and make their own decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. I think one of the things that, you know, I've had to learn and what has really surprised me that I didn't even know I had was a new level of patience. Um, oh my gosh. Especially dealing with a 15 month old. And mm-hmm. it sounds to me like, you know, that's something that either you had to learn or you had to put, you know, in, in practice a lot. So tell our listeners yeah. a little bit about how you approach, how, how you deal with patience and how you put that into practice. Oh, my gosh. It's always a challenge. <laughs> the, patience, the patience piece. You, one, the, the minute you think you have it mastered, oh, no, he's willing to try you. Uh, the yeah. kids will try your patience. They want to see how far... That they can go. They want to learn to know the boundaries. I know my son might not pick up on everything, but he knows when to test those boundaries. And it's just it's it's just the practice, honestly. The the, the patience. You gotta you know look at yourself and say how far am I willing to go? And you know some days are better than others. Sometimes are better than others. But you have to to remind yourself of why it is that they're trying to do this, and and try to put yourself in their position and and say well. This is why he wants to do X, Y, and Z, or this is why she's trying to do X, Y, Z. And if it makes sense, th- that'll help you evaluate how you approach that situation. So, and so not to not just look at it on the surface and get upset because you know they did this or why didn't they do this, but try to understand the rationale and the reasoning why they did something or didn't do something. Whether it's you telling them that they needed to do, you know, this chore or this is why this has to get done and they still didn't do it. Well, what 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 hurdles were there or what distractions were there that could have been taken out 
so that you could make sure that that task could have gotten done. So it's a, it's an evaluation of not just them, but as yourself as well. Like, did you put them in the best situation to succeed? And that's been a big thing, honestly, with, with, with my son is, you know, we try to minimize the distractions. I mean, he has ADHD as well, so he's easily distracted. So, so we try to pair, you know, these tasks and these asks down so that we can give him the straightest line to, to accomplish these goals. So, you know, just it, it's, a, it's an overall it's an overall evaluation of how you go about things. So not just so impatience goes a lot. It takes a lot of patience and a lot of trial and error and, and a lot of reminding of why it is that you're, you're trying to accomplish something. So I think that goes along with the uh, patience piece. Yeah. And sometimes you mess up. I mean, I know, you know, I do. I, do, I want, you know, you, it's OK. You know, you, you try again the next day. It's not going to you're not going to get it right every day. And I think that's a, an important thing for fathers, especially young fathers like myself um, to, to realize. So like and you can't and that's the thing, too. Like you can't you can't you can't beat yourself up, you know, like like the, the trial and error that that's going to happen. And, and as long as it's, you know, it's not too damaging. But, you know, it, mistakes are going to happen. You can't beat yourself. You know, every decision that you make might not be the best. But, you know, try to remember why it is that you thought you were making the right choice. And, and if you have to go back and reevaluate, then do so. But that, that's a big thing. And, I'm, and honestly, I still, and I, still practice, I still practice this today. Actually, my wife and I, we actually go to counseling, you know, just to be able to have a safe environment where we can speak openly without catching feelings because we're not saying it directly to each other. But you, you got to understand that, you know, mistakes, mistakes are going to happen. You can't beat yourself up because I used to get down, you know, down on myself if s- certain things weren't happening the way I thought they would happen or something that turned out the way I, I wanted to or thought it should. Like you can't beat yourself up. You can't get too down because because at the end of the day, to borrow Le- LeBron James terms, at the end of the day, your life's still going to go on. And these kids still need to be fed. You still need to be housed. They still need to be clothed. So. Whatever mistake or pitfall that might have been there, hey, you'll get another crack at it tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Good stuff. I want to go back to you, to your 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 sports background, Shannon. You know, in producing, you know, obviously you come in contact with a lot of you know, athletes and uh, analysts in your, in your role. And I'm curious, have any of them given you fatherhood advice? And would any of our listeners be surprised to because we, we see these guys and we see them in a certain light where they're on TV and on radio? Um, right. What what athlete or what talent has surprised you in terms of their approach to fatherhood that you've taken something from right well it's it's not so much it's not so much surprising but i used to uh, produce uh freddie and fitzsimmons with freddie coleman and ian fitzsimmons and and freddie coleman man he was he was he was great he's uh uh, the show was from 9p to 1a Mm -hmm. and at that time that was really tough on my family because when i initially moved to connecticut i was producing the right time with bomani jones which was an afternoon show so i was four P to seven P. So I was home at a, at a relative normal time. So I'm, I'm home, you know, to tuck the kids in bed, to help my wife after a long day, help her with the kids. But when I, when I got placed to work on the Freddie and Fitzsimmons, you know, I'm at work now 5 PM to 2 AM. And so I'm not home at nights. And that honestly, that was a tough year and a half stretch. And, you know, and I, and I got down on myself, you know, and, and, but, you know, Freddie was there and Freddie told me like, you, and this goes along with what I said earlier. He said, you can't, feel guilty about trying to provide the best life for your family. And yeah, it doesn't go according to plan, but think about it. You're here, you know, producing a nationally syndicated show. You're here at ESPN and, and you're doing what you love and you're providing and you're, and you're, and you're you know, being paid, you know, for your family to live comfortably and, and you can't beat yourself up on it. So it was tough, honestly, like being, and, and goes to the, the work 
life balance, man. It, it, and that was a, t- a tough stretch for me, honestly, because, you know, my kids were experiencing some things here in Connecticut, some of those racial uh, situations. And mm-hmm. and it felt a lot of times those fell on my wife to handle because I'm at work. And, you know, so there was, you know, a, a sense of guilt that I felt. And, you know, I would have, you know, lots of nights before shows, after shows with Freddie, who's a you know father himself and he's a, he's a older than me. So, you know, you know, some of that fatherly advice that he was able to give me went a long way. And I'm forever grateful for that because there were some low points, just being honest with you, you know, whether, you know, questioning whether or not I wanted to do this anymore or, you know, was I, you know, my, being selfish in my pursuit of my career, something that I have you know, dreamed of doing since I was eight years old. And, and, you know, and Freddie being a constant reminder that, you know, it might not seem like it now, but what you're doing, and the time that you're putting in is going to serve your family in the long run. So, so you know, shout out to Freddie Coleman for, for being there for me. Like I, if you have if you ever heard this, he'll probably start laughing. But <laughs> but yeah. So so for me, if anyone in that in in this profession, getting that advice, that sage advice from Freddie went a long way. Awesome, man. You mentioned something I want to, you know, circle back on. You mentioned some of the 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 racial issues that, you know, you have to deal yeah. with as a parent and as a, as a father mm-hmm. of of two kids, especially a, a black son. How have you approached, you know, those conversations with both your son and daughter, but especially with your son on some things that they may have to deal with as they, you know, begin to, you know, be more exposed to the to the realities of the world? Yeah, and I, I think for us, what really, what really hit home, and and yeah, we had said some things in the past with our kids, but the the Trayvon Martin situation really was at the forefront, and was really a, a, a introduction for my kids as to you know some of the, you know the the racial inequalities that they would have to deal with. Like it's one thing if you hear about the civil rights movement and you see things in black and white and you know back in my day type stuff, but for my kids. That was a very present and real situation, and and it was it, it was an eye opening experience, honestly, for my wife and I, because you look at you know Trayvon, a young black kid minding his business, wearing a hoodie. My son wears loves hoodies and 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 wears them almost every day, and so for us that became a teachable moment with him. Is you know to make him aware of his environment, his surroundings, and understand. Not to be cynical, but you got to understand that everybody, every person that's in your life or everyone that you see is not going to be your friend or everybody is not going to think of you because you might be, you know, exuberant, loud kid that you're just a, a kid. They may look at you and, and get defensive and look at you as a threat. So, we, you know, we try to explain to him to be mindful of his surroundings and, 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 and try to be better at reading people because my son, if you let, if you let him, he'll walk up and talk to anybody. You know, he's the yeah. most friendliest know a kid that you would ever meet but it it was a it was a eye-opening experience because like for him it was it became very real for us and and we had to actually sit down with him him and my daughter and have these very real you know conversations and so that i think that that situation trayvon martin um murder really put the light for us that hey it's time to have these conversations with both of our kids and 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 in transition so when we moved to Connecticut for, for work, you know, we're looking at different areas where we wanted to live and looked at school systems. And, you know, we had looked at Hartford, West Hartford, Farmington, several other areas. And, and as you, as you well know, you know, uh, Connecticut is not the most diverse place in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, 
when we looked at schools, we knew we were going to face that challenge. And, and we settled on, you know, Farmington, uh, Connecticut. And um, so as far as my son, he hasn't had as many challenges. Yeah, he's had some challenges making friends, but not as much on the racial side. But on but transitioning to my daughter, though, that's where we've had a lot of problems. Um, when hmm. she first came to her school, you know, several questions about her hair. Why is your hair so wild? Kids putting their hands in her hair. Mm. Um, and just to be honest with like my daughter, she's a very exuberant, very confident child. Like she's like, if, you, if there's any kid that's going to go in, in her own lane or do it her way, it's going to be Shannon. She's, she's always been a leader. She's always been willing and she's always going to speak her, her mind and step up. And, and I think when we moved to Connecticut, there were a lot of kids, especially a lot of young white males that were intimidated by that and um and, and and girls too so it's been honest we've been here two and a half years and it's still a challenge honestly for my daughter to make friends in and out of school um, we've had her involved in some extracurricular activities uh, she has a dance background now she's transitioning to acting and so you know we've exposed her to some things but you know honestly it does hurt her that she hasn't been able to to find the same relationships that she had when we lived in North Carolina. Um, and, and so it's been tough. We had a situation, I won't go off too far on a tangent, but we had a situation when she was in elementary school a couple years ago where essentially two boys made a makeshift whip and, mm. and essentially reenacted whipping a slave wow. on my daughter. Yeah, well, I was right. So, so, so we, you know, that prompted us. Obviously, we went to the superintendent. And we went, you know, to different officials within the school system, and it's like, hey, you guys got to reevaluate how you're going about things. Like, why isn't, why aren't there more black educators at these schools? You know, where, where are the positive influences? You know, why isn't more black history being taught in these schools? Why is most, the, the introduction to black history for most a lot of these kids is slavery like it's really like like tentpole events it goes slavery dr martin luther king barack obama like and that's, that's it. essentially it yeah and that's it and that's it and that's and that's not and that's not fair that's not fair to to the black kids and that's not fair honestly, to the white kids that that's that's their introduction like slavery shouldn't be their introduction to black history month like a lot of these kids have martin luther king day off but don't know who he is and why like, come on, like, what is that? You know, like, I, well, we should be way beyond that. So, so we've had to have those conversations with my daughter. And the last thing that we ever want to do is have her light dim. Like she is a, she is a star mm -hmm. and she's going to continue to be a star. And, you know, so we, as parents, we want to make sure that we continue to show her, you know, a positive black, in, uh, um, you know, imagery, whether it's, you know, men, women, or whomever, not just in, the entertainment field but otherwise like we want her to know that you can be and do whatever you want to do we're not going to let anyone stop you and and we're not going to let your star dimmer at all so that's that's honestly that's been a struggle because we, we can see it like she you know starts to question herself and where she where she belongs and you know a lot of girls up here want to wear their hair and scrunchies and ponytails mm -hmm. and stretched pants like like yeah that's cool but you know, we, we're going to send you to school in a dashiki too. Like, don't yeah. get it twisted. You know, <laughs> like we, 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 we're still us. So, and she's at that age, she's 10 going, you know, she'll be 11 later in the year. And so she's trying to define who she is, but we want to make, make sure she, she doesn't forget what she is. Yeah, man. So I guess, so listening to you talk about this, I'm, I'm just wondering, how do you deal with that? Because you, you hear these things that happen with your daughter and mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you want to go up there and just tear the school apart. So oh how gosh. do you how do you navigate not you know being a stereotypical 
you know, black man yeah. going up there yeah. and doing what they expect you to do, but at the same time, yeah. time defending your daughter. Yeah. And, and and that's a big thing because you never want to come off as the angry black man, yeah. right? Like you can you can understand, especially in those those settings. And we were fortunate enough that you know there there were other friends that we have here in Farmington who have kids in the Farmington school system that we're able to lean on. And we actually, my wife actually helped you know create a group here of of black parents with 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 kids in the Farmington schools. Like we created a group to come together. So that we can discuss these issues and take these issues to the school system and be there for each other because it is it is tough and at times you do feel like you're alone. But it's been the group has really helped us honestly be able to talk, you know, trade notes and just understand that we're there for each other. Because when that situation arose with my daughter, my wife, who's usually is not afraid to speak up, but she was just in total shock mm-hmm. and me. It was tough, being honest with you, to go in there that day and sit in that principal's office and, and have her try to explain to me, you know, wh- why something like this happens, why her why her educators aren't, you know, prepared enough to be able to discuss racial matters in the school, why they're scared to discuss these things. So I was actually, I actually had um, a Michael Smith, whose kids were in school as well, mm-hmm. uh, for me as an employee, and he actually came to the meeting with us, with the principal, and he was a godsend because... You know, he was able to speak from and looking at the situation, taking the emotion out of it, because honestly, my wife and I, we were just at such a state of shock. And and, you know, he and I, you know, we had talked and his wife, Sarah. So they they were familiar with the situation. So I'm forever thankful for the Smiths to be able to step in and and help us, because, Jamal, when I tell you, man, like I wanted to tear that damn school apart. Oh, sure. (laughs) You know, and it's not not just that situation, but the long-term effects that something like that can have. I mean, these, these boys, you know, where the, the kids were at recess, they made, they created some device and one boy said to the other, wow, that looks like what they used to beat black people with. Let's mm. go hit Shannon. Mm. And then the two boys then proceed to walk over and essentially whip my daughter. Wow. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and so then, so then that goes back then. I, so then for me personally, getting back to the guilt that I felt that I put my kids in that situation yeah. and, and, and trying to come to grips and trying to come to grips with, am I doing the right thing? You know, and, 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 and you try to provide and you try to, you know, make the best life you can, but at what cost? And, and that's honestly, that's something I still grapple with. Like I have it, it's, it's still a practice, you know, and that, and that goes, I think to the, to the whole, you know, fatherhood and the parents in peace. And then I thank you for having forums like this podcast for us to come in and discuss it and let, you know, people understand and, and hear these situations and let them know and tell them, I'm here to tell you, you are not alone. Like this fatherhood, fathering, especially here and in, in being in black in America today is a challenge. I know it's always been a challenge, but it continues to be a challenge today. So I want to say thank you allowing me and us and us black fathers to come together and, and discuss these issues man well hey man i appreciate you sharing your story and being able to be open about the experiences that you had i mean we could go on and on and on man but i think that's a good yeah. place to to put a pin on this conversation shannon pin um on the fatherhood podcast today so before we let you go man um tell our listeners how they can reach you um what shows you're working on and how they can you know l- listen and watch and tune in Right, so I'm on. Um, I'm the producer of uh, First Take Your Take on ESPN Radio and ESPN News from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. My handles are 
My first name Shannon underscore Penn. So S H A N N O N underscore my last name Penn P E N N. Um, I need to start tweeting more. I'll just be honest with you. I need to start tweeting more. <laughs> like I, I got away from it a bit, honestly, because some of these issues became so too heavy, you know, so heavy. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, whether it's you know political or whatever, you know, yeah. it, it became heavy. So I, you know, I need to get back to being more present and, and, and getting back and engaging in these conversations because I think it's good to have. So that's where you can find me. I'm ESPN News, ESPN Radio, and Twitter and Instagram. I want to thank my man Shannon Penn for joining me today. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Fatherhood Podcast, available on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. On social media, be sure to like the Fatherhood Podcast page on Facebook, And check me out on Instagram at The Fatherhood Podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Jamara Hudson, and this is The Fatherhood Podcast.